Okay, so as Jeremy said, we're in this series, uh, One Body, Many Parts. We enjoyed a break from the series last week with Sheridan speaking. Uh, I was with the youth, so I didn't enjoy it myself. Not that I wouldn't have enjoyed it if I were here. But I understand it was a great time. And uh, as um, I expected, it would be something that pointed us very much to Jesus. And uh, I trust that as we carry on this morning, coming back to our series of one body, many parts, it won't be time to take our eyes off him and to think only of ourselves. But I pray that Christ will be glorified in our lives because of this morning. Um, It's him who created, he who created um, us as a community. It was his death on the cross that brought us into being and everything, everything is about him. Prophetic words that we have heard and weighed and received in recent months include words about Christ building up his church brick by brick by brick in this season. It's not a time of altering all the foundations, again, imagining entirely different structures and that kind of thing, but it's a season of bit by bit God taking the living stones, that's us, and connecting us in strong ways that would bring about a greater strength together and more glory for him. Uh, This thing about one body, many parts, is therefore about all of us. If in this series so far you felt like I or others were speaking about the church corporately and that you're just somehow on the edge of that, that maybe other bricks are being built together, but you know, if you, if, it, if you join in, it'll be later on and maybe just on the edge. I want to say this message, like this whole series, it's for everyone here. You might, not, you might be visiting today, and in which case it's about you and the, the church community that you're part of when you're at home. If you're feeling a little bit on the edge of the church community here, for whatever reason, this is still for you everyone, one body, many parts, is all about everyone mattering and everyone having a unique part to play. That's what this series is all about. This morning, we get to the bit that's about discipleship. And we're going to turn to Matthew's gospel. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 12. And the title that I've chosen for this morning is, and I've stuck it with one of my favorite pictures, which is Um, I don't know where this picture comes from, but it's a picture of Jesus. Well, someone... It's not really a picture of Jesus, is it? (laughs) It's... it's You know know what it is. It's the idea of Jesus with a whole bunch of his friends that are travelling with him. And that's what we're really about this morning. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to the end of the chapter. (laughs) Matthew chapter 12... Verse 46, Jesus was still talk- while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is our main scripture for this morning, and it's really simple. 
This isn't a morning of complex theology, but of something simple, but that is quite a challenge to us in a number of ways. I could have chosen as my title for this morning, and I nearly did, uh, a community of disciples. Followers is another word for disciples. We could talk about a family of disciples, a community of followers. Uh, Here, we have these two things. Jesus' family, mother and brothers, sisters get a look in at the end in verse 50 as well, and his disciples, those those who relate closely to him and those who follow him. And what we see here is that followers of Christ form family together. Followers of Christ form family together. Actually, that was always God's plan. That was always what he intended. If we read Genesis chapter 1 and the account of creation there, God creates Adam and Eve in his image and likeness and commands them to be fruitful and to rule the earth. His plan was, that, was always that there would be a family that looks like him, therefore carries his glory and rules the world for him. In relationship with him, following his way of doing things, and through that, blessing the earth. That's always been what God intended. And what Jesus did was to get that plan back on track. He didn't simply come to see individuals' sins forgiven so that we might receive eternal life, and then be warehoused in churches until it was our time to go to heaven. It's amazing that Jesus forgives us our sin and grants us eternal life. I am so grateful. Do you know, it puts puts a limit on how low I can get. I don't know if you find this. Sometimes you might be feeling really low. It doesn't take much more than a moment of thinking about the fact that Jesus loved me enough to die for me, forgive my sins, and I have an eternity with him. And that, it lifts me. I'm so grateful day by day and in my darkest moments, grateful for what Jesus has done for me. But it's not the whole story, is it? There's something more. I don't need only to safeguard my salvation, to safeguard my eternity with him, but he's called us to be like him and to do so together. His strategy, as Jesus spoke his last words to the disciples before returning to heaven, go, make disciples of all nations. Go. It's always been his plan that there would be this growing number of people who look like him, think like him, do what he would do in order to fill the earth with his glory. Do you agree? Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good. That's what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship. It's about us changing to become more like him because we're his followers. That's what discipleship's about. And this morning, we're looking at what it means to be a community of disciples together, a family 
of followers because Jesus says that his disciples are his family. That's a definition that he gives. So at several points this morning, I'm going to pause and invite you to reflect on your current reality. I've got two distinct words to put before you about what it is for us to be a community of disciples. And I'm going to invite you to reflect on, is it really happening in your life? So really simple message, but one that I'm hoping will affect change for the good in all of us. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about discipleship over the years. And what I've seen is that whilst everybody who talks about discipleship has their own vocabulary and their own favorite passages of the Bible to explain what it means, they still all describe the same two key things. And the two words that I'm going to use for those two key things are friendship and challenge. For friendship, we could talk about family, community. It's, it's the strand that we see in the Gospels where Jesus says to the 12, he says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Before he sent them out, they were called into relationship with him, friendship with him. And the challenge is seen again and again in Jesus saying, follow me, be perfect as my father is perfect, obey my commands. This is how you remain in me. You obey my commands. There are these two things that both matter just as much as each other. And that gives me the opportunity to copy something that a guy called Mike Breen has done and create a little matrix of these things. So I'm clicking. There we go. Oh, I've clicked lots. Okay, so um, let's just think this through a little bit. If challenge, the challenge to obey Christ is one dimension of discipleship, then we can think of not being challenged very much or, or having a high level of challenge coming to us in our lives. And if it's about friendship, we can think about whether we're enjoying strong friendship as the context for that challenge or really quite weak friendship for whatever reason. Other people aren't close to us. Perhaps we are, um, well, there's all kinds of reasons why we might be lacking friendship at a moment in time, and I'll come to that in a minute. Um, if we were to think, what is it like then in each of these four different spaces? What's, what's it like? The first thing is to say that it's pretty boring being in a place where you're neither challenged nor connecting to people. It's a kind of empty space. It's a place of apathy and inactivity. If lacking the supportive friendships, you move across to at least getting some challenge in your life, then what it feels like is stress. If you've not got support, but a lot's being demanded of you, even though it's the demands that comes from heaven, it's Christ's call, it's stressful. And uh, there we go. If we go to the top left and think, well, okay, instead of just being bored, what if the component that we start to enjoy is really good friendship? 
with someone. Well, that's lovely, isn't it? Um, I could put the word lovely there, uh, but I put cosy. And um, it's interesting that most of the time, most people live not so much in the bored bit, but in some, some sort of somewhere between stressed and cosy. I don't know if that's your experience. You have seasons of being more stressed and seasons of retreating from that into a place of, of loveliness. Um, but actually, if we can see both of those things come together, that's the space where we're growing. If we can, in the same season of life, both be well-supported and experience a good measure of challenge, that's what will lead to growth in us. And that is what Jesus consistently provided for his disciples. He said to them, first of all, come and be with me. And that was a full-on sharing of life. They traveled together. They slept in the same places. They ate the same meals. There was oodles of time together. But he also challenged them like no one else ever did. And we say, well, how did he get this ragtag bunch of 12 guys to the point where when he returned to heaven, they just took off with the power of the Holy Spirit to see the church come into existence? Well, they grew shed loads in their three years of friendship and challenge with him. So this is my first moment to pause and to ask, where are you? If you had to, to stick a pin it, in this what it, chart, whatever you call it, table, I don't know, you have to stick a pin on that. Where are you at the moment? Now, some of you will find it easiest just to think quietly to yourselves. Others of you will need to talk to the person next to you to, to work it out. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes, either to have a think or a quick chat, and to be honest about what life is currently like for you. Is that clear enough? Okay, go. Okay, have you got a handle on your reality? (laughs) Some of you are so stressed you can't even think straight, so that's a bit of a challenge. Some of you are so cosy that you're asleep, so you can't think straight, actually. All right. So let's have a think, first of all, about... We're going to think about these two things in turn, friendship and challenge. And uh, we're going to start off thinking about friendship. Um, As I've already quoted from Mark 3, it says that Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him. And again, it's really, really simple, but it's something that we need to reflect on And allow it to change us. These guys spent time together. They lingered in each other's company. They didn't just get together for meetings with a tight sense of purpose. But they hung out together. They lingered in each other's company. Um, A key moment of Transition in my own life took place in 1996 when I'd not long finished my undergraduate studies. And at that point, I had the twin uh, delight of being supported both by Jeremy and Adrienne 
and also by Steve Thomas, who were all giving me input and supporting me, mentoring me. And then, in 1996, when that had been going on for a couple of years, I got an invite from Steve and Lorraine Thomas to go and live with them. And to live with them and their children at that time, living with them were Lorraine, no, no, not Lorraine, Miriam, Esther, and, and Ben. And uh, I lived with them for, for, I don't know, something like four months, something like that. In that time, um, I shared their meal times. Um, I played Super Mario a lot <laughs> with Ben, who was five and still beat me all the time. Um, I drove their car. I phoned them up in the middle of important meetings to tell them what was wrong with their car as I drove it. Um, I destroyed one or two things in the kitchen whilst using it. Um, I saw Steve asleep on the sofa after a busy week's work. I, um, well, then when Bev and I were married soon after that, we went on holiday with, with Steve and Lorraine and with Esther and Ben. Um, I saw Steve skipping like a little girl down a coastal path with his children um, just shared life. And you know, Bev and I, at that stage in our lives, had some fairly major problems, it would be true to say. And, uh, but we didn't spend a lot of time talking about them. We just lingered together, and it did us the world of good. That's the nature of friendship. And it's great to have the opportunity to do that Jesus called the 12 to be with him. I think at that point, the reason that, 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 that Stephen and Lorraine knew they had to spend time with us in that way, in the way they did, was God had already spoken to Lorraine about my taking on something of the role that I now have in leading the church here, taking it on from Steve. And they knew that the pattern that Jesus set was be with before authorizing and sending out. And I had long, longer time of, I had a whole stretch of time of being with before receiving that passing on of authority from them. That's the way that God wants it to be. And although, as some of you will know, I'm more of a goal-oriented you know, person, you know, want to know the purpose of everything before starting it, and so on. And in this regard of relational stuff, being a slower learner, I am learning, and uh, I'm getting better at realizing the need just to spend time with the people that we're involved in discipling and pastoring. I put this picture up here. This was a year ago. Um, Chalgrove May Day Fair, a year ago, I went with our girls, that's them on the right-hand side, enjoying their first proper fun fair. This year, it was great to go with Dan and Erica, and uh, I didn't take any photos this year. I've only got last year's. Um, But we didn't, we didn't do anything deep together, but they bought us ice creams. And we just spent time together. Uh, on Friday morning, um, I also have a mentoring relationship with Danny Scott. Um, on Friday morning, we just spent the morning together walking in the rain down the Thames towpath. Um, and then just having breakfast together. Do you know what? We didn't sort anything out much but we shared life and by the end of it both of us were in a healthier place than when we were a bit damper as well but we were both in a healthier place than when we started uh, lingering together 
One of the things I've enjoyed doing, uh, I enjoy doing most over Easter, is a couple of guys that are over here, and I'm trying to see where others are. Um, who, some of the students, we were, um, James Lawton and I, we uh, hired some space in a retreat house in Standon St. John, just outside the city. We spent a bit of time with these guys, um, praying together, worshipping together, walking together, playing card games, which is when you really learn about people's character. <laughs> they got a, little bit of insight into, got a little bit of insight into my character and vice versa. Um, I've been learning more and more that one of the most useful things I can do is just hang around in the right places. But it, rather than simply sol- having an attitude of solving things, and, and this is what Jesus taught us. He called people to, to be with him, to linger, to enjoy friendship and relationship. Those of us who go to the Salt and Light summer camp every year know the value of this too. Our camp transform is happening at the end of July, provides us with an opportunity to linger in each other's company. And a lot of the power of God at work in that time together is there are meetings where the word of God's spoken and people are prayed for. But actually, a lot of the good that happens is over hot chocolate late at night or a glass of wine or whatever. And for many of us, those are the times that we look forward to most of lingering together. Especially if you're camped near the Snelsons, because <laughs> they cook well and are generous. Relationship is foundational for the Christian life. It's not an add-on extra if we have time. And thinking of discipleship, relationship is foundational for discipleship too. Here's a quote that I read this week about how others get involved in the change that God has planned for us. There are some people who enable us to be as we have never been before. It's a bit complicated way of saying it. I'll say it again. There are some people who enable us to be as we have never been before. We shall never truly know ourselves unless we find people who can listen who can enable us to emerge, to come out of ourselves, to discover who we are. We cannot discover ourselves by ourselves. And that's the way that God made it. One of the great enemies of real friendship today is our busyness. I don't know how many times you find yourself saying to someone, oh, we really ought to get together sometime. And then it doesn't happen. Sometimes, and this is rather ironic, that busyness arises precisely from trying to maintain too many friendships. I don't know if any of you are stuck in that, feeling obliged to connect, to keep up the connection with so many people that all of your encounters with people are rapid, purposeful, overdue encounters in which there's not time for lingering because there's someone else to get on to and to see. We would do better if we're stuck in that not to try to maintain so many friendships but to allow ourselves to be part of a happy few, a small band where things go deeper. Um, 
sometimes we miss out on friendship because we're always looking around, wondering whether there are other friendship groups that might be a bit better to be part of. The feeling that we're somehow in a kind of second or third tier set of friends, and there's another set of people somewhere else that's, you know, they're the beautiful people or the successful people or whatever, and that that maybe we just need to keep an eye out to whether we could one day get the opportunity to go up the social scale. I'm sure none of you ever feel that way. And we end up not lingering with the people who actually are there for us. Um, Sometimes we don't have time for friends because we're working so hard to succeed and have lost track of the fact that God doesn't only call us to be workers, but to be companions. He really does call us to be a family of followers. And I understand that, that where we have an established pattern of life in which we're caught up in lots of things, it won't change overnight. We have certain responsibilities that we've embraced, certain expectations that we've encouraged with a whole number of friends, whatever it may be. But please don't let that reality and the difficulty of change stand in the way of heading towards God's best for you. Here's a few questions. Uh, This is a guy called Gordon MacDonald, and here are some questions that he asked in a book called A Resilient Life. These push us a bit further to ask what are the friendships in our lives like? Who is it that listens to and encourages your dreams? Who is it that stretches your mind? I hope you have someone that stretches your mind. Who shares your tears? Who protects you? Who plays with you? That's an ever more... Once you get into your... um, I don't know, um, 30s, certainly, and have small children. You get to play with small children, but who, who plays? What is it that you enjoy doing as you go on in life and have more responsibilities, more of a career? Do you, do you play at all? What, what, is that, what is that like in your life, and who do you do it with? Who rebukes you? Who seeks after God with you? Where do those aspects of friendship come in your life. Going back to that matrix of weak friendship, strong friendship, these are some of the signs of what friendship looks like. Father God, I thank you that this community that the scriptures speak of is not only available to some Christians but that we are a family and there are these quality relationships that are available to every one of us. I pray that you would, as has already been prayed this morning, that you do a work in this place by your spirit to break down the dividing walls. Whatever it is that holds us apart, the practical things in our lives, but the internal things in our souls that drive us in ways that keep us apart. I pray that you deal with those things. Because the truth is, we haven't got the power to deal with them. They overtake and overwhelm us. 
and in some cases have done for many years, that you're powerful and good and will see us through as we submit to you. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. I said it would be simple, and I said it would be challenging. And that really brings me to the, the next bit. Discipleship requires challenge. Without challenge, we will be spiritual slobs. Is that true? Without challenge, we will be spiritual slobs. And uh, what we're talking about here is our spiritual health. And I found it helpful to draw a comparison with the way in which we approach our physical health. So I've got another thing here to put on the screen. And the question is really, how much challenge are you after? How much challenge are you after? So low challenge, high challenge. I'm just going to replace those words to push it a little bit further. Are you looking for people that will give you input reactively? That, I mean by that that when you've got a problem, someone will help you with it. The reactive input, reacting to your, your uh, issues. Or a higher level of challenge would be where you invite someone else to be proactive in giving you input even when you're not looking for it. Low challenge, high challenge, reactive or proactive input. And here we go, thinking about different kinds of things that go on in terms of our physical and I suppose our mental health as well. It's a picture of Sigmund Freud with his chair. Oh, I think it might be a waxwork, actually. Because Anyway, picture of Sigmund Freud with his chair. Somebody visiting their GP. These are things that we do when we hit crisis. When we've got to a point where we don't know what else to do and a problem has become quite intrusive and painful in our lives, then we might go and seek counsel from a counsellor. We might go visit our GP. Um, I think my dad went for about 35 years without visiting his GP. And uh, it's there as a provision for us when things aren't working. That's how we... We understand that part of what the NHS offers us. It's possible. Here's another couple of pictures. Um, The top group is a Weight Watchers group who are being accountable to each other for uh, making some change in their lives. And there's a running club who go out and do something together on a regular basis to make sure that they do the thing, that the good intention that they have. So there's more challenge in that there's more uh, proact- proactivity, if that's a word. There's more initiative, that's the word I'm looking for. But it can go further than that still, can't it? And this is really just to cheer Jeremy's heart and any other Arsenal supporters. <laughs> of all the football coaches in the world I could have chosen, Arsene Wenger deserves to be there just at the moment. Or having a personal, personal trainer who will get right alongside you and push you to the limit of what you can do in order to see you develop and grow as much as you can. There's a spectrum there from low challenge, I'll help you when it's needed, to a middling level of challenge where we sign up to be part of something that is going to stretch us in some way, or really a very full-on challenge where it's not so much that we've signed up to a goal as we've signed up to a relationship where someone else is going to set the goals. You see that spectrum there. 
And so I'd like to pause again at this point and to ask you, where would you see yourself sitting on that spectrum just at the moment? What kind of challenge are you enjoying in life just now? Okay. Don't know whether you have any clarity about that. As a slight aside, I was been reading a book just recently about the Desert Fathers. I don't know if you're familiar with the Desert Fathers, but a monastic movement in the sort of fourth century onwards in the deserts of Egypt and also Palestine. And uh, they really got hold of this thing about spiritual direction and spiritual mentors and the need for someone to train you in order to grow in godliness. There's this one story in particular that struck me. The story is told of a monk who was affected in his heart by the praise and the blame that other people gave him, and it knocked him about. And his mentor was a guy called Macarius, did this. This is his training. He sent him to the cemetery to shout curses at the dead and then to praise them. And then afterwards, he said, like the dead, take no account of either the scorn of men or their praises. I have to say, there's, there's, there's a kernel in that little story. of We embrace tasks given to us. If we were having a personal trainer in some sports context, but probably more often in our work, there are things that are demanded of us that we just have to do them, whether we can even quite see the purpose or where it's going to take us. But through getting on and doing them, we learn something about ourselves. I hope you've had that experience. Work should be like that for us. Work should be a context where we're growing because it's a place of challenge too. But I'd love to see more of that dynamic going on in our spiritual lives, where it was possible for those that are more senior than us in the Lord to say, just think you should do this. Just go and do this thing. I just... And a w- for us to have a willingness to give things a go, because people who've got more wisdom than us prompt us to do so, I'd love to see more of that spirit developing amongst us so that we could grow far faster and see much more emerge amongst us. Okay, that was a bit of an aside. I'd like to make a couple of observations about us right now as a church and these different places on this spectrum of challenge. I'd like to suggest that if you're finding that you're always stumbling, if you're from one crisis to the next, if that's your experience, that actually... It would do you good to join a group of people who are spurring each other on. Because we do have an emphasis as a church on personal relationships in our pastoral care and our discipleship, we have what we call personal pastors. Because of that, I think often we, if someone's, if one of us is stumbling from one crisis to a next, we try to jump from there sort of the left-hand side where it's like, you can see those are one-to-one type relationships, personal pastoring, 
We try to jump from there to very proactive input and strong personal discipleship, personal spiritual training as the answer. Some of you are not not clear what I'm talking about now because you've not been through this process and this experience. But for some of you, you'll know what I... This has been your experience. You've had a personal pastor to whom you've gone in a crisis, a bit like going to the GP. Somehow had a desire, a longing for it to stimulate more growth and have somehow hoped, maybe even had the conversation with your personal pastor that this relationship would transform into something more like having a personal trainer. But my observation is that 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 transition rarely happens. And I wonder whether this can help us understand why, if we're not taking part in some regular community of people that has a cutting edge, then we're missing out an important step towards living a life where there's more challenge. There's Something that God... It's interesting that Jesus doesn't just call a bunch of people to him um, one at a time. Say, I've got a morning schedule. I've got 20 minutes with Judas, and then I've got 20 minutes with James. And I think Peter, I need to give a bit... I'll give two slots to Peter this morning. He can have 40 minutes. (laughs) You know, that wasn't how he had... The the primary thing that Jesus did was call them all together. And there's something about learning from each other in community, which is an essential building block. And as the years go by, my observation is that if that building block isn't in place, then the more intense seasons of training are hollow and don't develop us in the way that we hope for. I hope that makes sense. I hope it does. And so my encouragement, my suggestion to you, is that if you find yourself stumbling from one crisis to another always feeling stressed, and then the best thing that you can do is search out a small group of people to be your happy few, your band of brothers and sisters with whom to share life. And if you're already in a group like that, you're already enjoying what it is to be in Christian community, then I'd like to challenge you to start praying that God would provide you with a personal trainer, a coach, a mentor, whatever you want to call it, who would take you further. I would pray that you have an appetite for that so that you can be all that God has made you to be. Okay, that's a bit of a bitty end to things. I think I've thrown out enough practical challenges to last the next six weeks anyway already. So I'm going to stop there in terms of preaching. I want to pray, though. What I'd like to pray is that for us as a community to grow in this, that God would gift more and more people with more and more of a spirit of fatherhood and motherhood. Because all of this is only going to work if there are people that are willing to give themselves as mentors and coaches, as spiritual mums and dads. So can I pray that? And then Jeremy, I think, is going to close the meeting and the stewards need warning that we'll need tea sooner than normal. Okay. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect example. I do want to pray for any of my brothers and sisters here who have heard your word this morning 
and they're thinking, well, that, yeah, but. And these are all the reasons why it's hard to see change. I pray for a gift of faith to come to each of us this morning. Hope that the pattern that you have given us, Lord, is one that we can live. And that even when we can't quite see how to get there, that you can show us the way and lead us step by step. Pray that we would leave this place this morning encouraged, not stressed. And I do pray for an outpouring of your spirit to develop us into maturity, that we might ourselves be coaches and mentors, spiritual mothers and fathers to those around us, reliably present, providing support as it's needed, but not hesitant to bring a challenge from the word of God in order to see those that we care for become the best that they can be, all that you've made them to be. I pray that you'd put into each one of us a compassion and a concern for those around us that would be always itching to ask, how can I help? What can I do? How can I support? How can I provoke change? How can I help others grow spiritually? Yeah, where there's a cost to pay in that of putting our own agendas to one side for the sake of prioritizing others' needs, I pray that you'd help us with that. May we be known as a church that is very, very much a family of followers. Not just talking the talk, but where there is a web of relationships that do us all good, in which we really are growing up into Christ. And which others can join, and by joining it, be accelerated in their spiritual growth. That we might be radiant with your glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.